I mean, spring came early. Came in like a lamb, right? Well, not tomorrow. <laughs> Friday's coming, <laughs> right? Isn't Friday supposed to be nice again? Yeah, so... Yeah, if you don't like it, wait 24 hours. That's what they say, right? Don't like the weather? Just wait 24 hours. Okay, well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to uh, Philippians chapter 3 tonight. We hope to uh, finish out the chapter, verses 15 through 21. And I've entitled the message, uh, Keep Pressing On. So let's, uh, let's ask the Lord to bless our study. Father, we thank you for your word now. pray that you administer to our hearts as we once again open the word of God and study together. Uh, we thank you that uh, you are the living God, your word is alive, and the Holy Spirit takes the word and ministers to our hearts. So, Lord, have your way as we study together uh, once again. Also for the Awana Youth Group Ministries, may they be blessed and be with each one of the teachers. Pray that no one will get hurt in the game time and so forth. Uh, just have a good, fruitful evening for your glory is our prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, uh, we note the outline here. We're working through here uh, the book of uh, Philippians. And uh, the theme is rejoice or joy, rejoice in the Lord. We're in chapter 3, finishing out rejoicing Christ, our goal. In the book, uh, there's kind of an underlying current of disunity in the group. And it comes through in different places. And uh, so he emphasizes unity very strongly based on humility. uh, Unity based on humility. But unity does not extend to false teachers. Uh, you know, there's a problem. We're not going to be able to just get along and say, well, it's okay, I know you're teaching heresy, we're teaching truth, but that's okay, we can all just be, you know, get along here. Uh, no, that's not going to work that way in the, in the fellowship. And so uh, he makes a real issue of this. He says in chapter 3 and verse 3, if you back up there to verse three, verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 3, we are the circumcision. Of course, circumcision in the, the Jewish context was code, really, for we are the covenant people of God. The circumcision, they, there was a physical circumcision related to the physical sign of them being the covenant people of God. He's using it in the sense of covenant people of God, the true covenant people of God. When he says we are the circumcision, he's talking about spiritually here now. And he says, we are the circumcision, that is the true covenant people of God, who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. What a great statement Uh, in terms of our salvation. Uh, We have no confidence in the flesh that we can make ourselves right with God. And Paul then goes on to share his own personal testimony where he says, I had all these religious credentials from my my birth. I was a Jew of, of the Jews. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of the Jews. Um, man, I was zealous for my faith, persecuting the church. I mean, but he says, all these things that I thought were in my, the positive side of my ledger, I counted them all loss that I might gain Christ. In order, to have, in order to have Christ, you have to let go of everything else in terms of what you're counting on to make you right with God. And Paul says, I've done that. And he works his way down to verse 9 where he says, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness. I don't make myself right before God. And this is what the world has such a hard time with, in a sense. It's one of the things because, you know, it just seems so contrary. I was at a, at a funeral recently, and I was preaching the gospel of grace, and the guy came up to me afterwards. This is a guy, by the way, who during the course of the service got up and was sharing about the, the family member had gone, and he was throwing F-bombs all over the place, and it was just, you know. But he comes up to me afterwards. He says, I understand what you're saying, but he says, that's just contrary to the way I was taught. My dad taught me you've got to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. And you get what, you know, you earn all the way. 
And I said, yeah, that's the opposite of what grace is. And that's what he's saying here. Uh, be found in not having my own righteousness. I don't have anything that makes me right with God. I've discovered it. I can't do it, uh, which is from the law, the laws of do's and don'ts. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So he says here, I've discovered it. I discovered it was by faith. The righteousness which is from God by faith. And then uh, he continues on and he says, I'm not yet perfect yet in terms of sanctification, in terms of how I my walk. I got some things I'm still working on. And we saw that last time. But he says, I'm pressing on. And we move down to verse 14 where he says, here's the goal. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I think Paul, in saying this, his goal was to be faithful to where he could receive the prize from God, the reward from God, and he pictures it in the sense of an upward call. When, when that great day when we're all going to appear before God and he's going to evaluate us, his goal is that he would receive that prize, and he's pressing toward that goal of, uh, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Well, that's where we left off last time. And let's pick it up here, verse 15 and 16 tonight. Who wants to read that for us? Uh, 15 and 16? Yeah, Vince? Yeah. Okay, this is, these are kind of interesting verses here because uh, the therefore ties back to what he has just said in light of the emphasis uh, on pressing on, uh, that pressing on in sanctification. Sanctification means set, being set apart, growing to be more like Christ. In, in light of that emphasis of pressing on uh, towards this goal of being faithful, receiving the reward from the Lord, he says, therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. Uh, this is kind of it seems to be a polite way of appealing to them to think maturely and kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt that many of us are mature in our thinking, basically, here. So, so let's think alike here. Um, my slide here. Uh, this is Paul's tactful way of appealing to them to think maturely. In effect, he is saying that those who are mature will realize, A, they're not yet perfect in their practice. And none of us are, right? Is there any perfect ones here? We'd really like you to come forward and share with us. Anyway, nobody. Uh, B, that they uh, need to forget the past. You know, he says, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. They need to forget the past and press on toward the goal of knowing Christ and making him known. So he's saying, let's, let's agree. Let's agree on, on these score. If we're mature, and, and if you are mature, you'll agree with these two points. And so he's emphasizing that. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have reached this point where we're in agreement here. And that this is mature thinking is what his premise is. Have this mind. Uh, think in this way. Have this attitude. Uh, we're not perfect yet, but we're pressing on. That's what we're doing. Uh, we have room to grow. But uh, this, this goal of knowing Christ, and remember how he said back in verse 10, his goal is that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. This is Paul's ultimate goal, to know Christ more and more. And so he says, uh, have this mind, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Now this implies that there is evidently some kind of background here that we don't really know specifically about. 
But uh, some kind of controversy over the issue he's discussing, evidently of, of perfection. And, uh, but it's interesting how he says this. If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. He could have said, you know, if, if you think otherwise, I want you to know I'm an apostle. <laughs> and you need to line your thinking up with me. I think he could have probably said that. You know, he is an apostle. He does speak with authority for Jesus Christ. And he does say those kind of things other places. But here he doesn't. It's interesting to me, the spirit here, he doesn't argue. He doesn't argue. Uh, he gives it over to God, in effect, saying, God will reveal even this to you. So he's pretty confident of his position, isn't he? When you're saying God will reveal even this, if you disagree, God's going to show you. I'm not going to, I've made my point, and, but I'm not going to argue. I'm going to leave it with God and, and allow God to work in you. And God will reveal even this to you. You know, it's a whole lot more, it's a whole lot better when God does it than if you're trying to pound this into somebody. And there comes a point where I've made the point very clearly. There's nothing more uh, that we can, you know, there's no use arguing about it. And so I think that's kind of where he's at at this point. So note his method. <clears throat> Paul at this point does not argue with them, but neither does he say you might be right. <laughs> Doesn't say that either, does he? No. Rather, he says, if you can't see it, then God will, will show it to you. Which uh, could come off a little arrogant, right? God's on my side. God's going to show you what I'm talking about. Uh, again, he's an apostle. Uh, he gives it over to God, depending on God to get through to them. Paul's method is noteworthy. He shares the truth, then leaves it with God. He gives space for them to grow in their understanding. Uh, the spirit of Romans 14 regarding the strong and the weak. And yet uh, does not water down his own stand. So there's a lot of uh, kind of a balancing act there just a little bit. But you see, he is always very gracious and tactful uh, as much as he can be. Uh, there are certain points, like with the gospel, I mean, he's not going to give in at all. There's no wiggle room. There's no compromise. But there's other areas uh, where he uh, says, okay, I've made my point. I'll let God work on you now. All right. Any other thoughts there before we move into verse 16? Yeah. Right. So you have to be faced. You have to say, let's go. Okay, they, they know what the scripture says. Yep. And in a way, it puts the pressure on the other person yep. to respond to say, well, yeah, that's what is there. Now, what are you going to do with it? Yeah, amen. And I think, again, this is in keeping with mature thinking, what you're saying, where it's not like I, I have to win the argument. I've got to, in the flesh, make my case and prove it and, and you know, bowl them over. No. It's like you're saying, kind of putting it in their court. Let God, let God win the battle here. Yeah, good. Okay. Anything else? All right. Verse 16 continues. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind, uh, let's be of the same mind. So there is a shared level of maturity that he is referring to here. And uh, there's a lots of things they agree on as those who are mature. And he's saying, let's live consistent with what we agree on. And I think those basic uh, premises that he, we talked about earlier, in terms of none of us are perfect yet, we're all, we're all pressing on as mature believers. And so, uh, you know, he's emphasizing this. And to the degree that we have attained, let us walk by the same rule. Uh, let, let us be consistent in our, in our walk on, on those things that we're in agreement on here. 
And, uh, you know, it's interesting that he makes this. Uh, can you, as a believer, be at a certain point in your maturity and then slip back? <clears throat> can that happen, do you think? Yeah. Can you give me an example in Scripture? Peter would be an example. He knew better, but he wasn't doing better at one point, right? <clears throat> I'm thinking uh, like in uh, the church at Ephesus. When you think about a whole church group, they had left their first love. I mean, they were there. And now, it's such a serious thing, Christ says, if you don't repent, I'm going to remove your, your candlestick, your, your witness in that community. So, yeah. And he's saying, Let, let's, let's not slip back here. Let's keep on keeping on to the degree that we have already attained. Let us walk by the the same rule. Literally, let us march in the same line. Uh, Don't get out of of line. So here, in in summary, is what I think we're looking at here in these verses, 15 and 16. As a whole, these verses are corrective to those who may be self-satisfied with their spiritual progress or may be careless in maintaining what progress that has already been made. Each believer is responsible to maintain their spiritual life and indeed to press on. We are ever in danger of getting mired down where we are not making progress or even where we uh, digress. So that's a, that's a good exhortation. Uh, I, as a pastor, have seen this many times. We as elders, we see this. <laughs> People used to be really involved serving the Lord, and like, what happened? Somewhere they got derailed. They got off track. Uh, or they're weak in their stands uh, on certain things, whatever it might be. Okay, Uh, so march on uh, in the maturity level that we have already come to. Let's hold hold the line there is what he's saying. All right, any other thoughts? Yeah, Michael. I think it's an interesting contrast between this passage where he's talking about uh, continuing in the faith and something that a a non-mature believer might not understand. He gives room for the Holy Spirit to Amen. Amen. Well said. Amen. All right. Anyone else? Okay. Let's some, have somebody read just verse 17. Uh, somebody want to read verse 17? John? Okay. Thank you. So he appeals to them as brethren, uh, fellow members in the family of God. And Paul often does this right before he's wanting to make a strong exhortation of one kind or another. And he says, brethren, join in following my example. The word example is uh, the Greek word from which we get our English word mimic. So he's saying mimic me in effect. 
follow my example. Uh, he says, you know, I'm a pattern. Follow, follow my pattern. Uh, live, after, live after this example. In effect, Paul is saying to renounce all spiritual complacency, imitate my example in pressing on toward the goal of knowing Christ, Christ-likeness. Paul was not one who would say, do as I say and not as I do. Rather, Paul legitimately could say, do as I do, because I consistently do as I say. He says, follow my example. You know, there's a little challenge there, I think. You know, can we as Christians really say this? Join in following my example. (laughs) Or we say, you know, don't follow me. Uh, I think as Christians, we should all be living this way. Uh, For those less mature, for a watching world, uh, we should be living the life. It's not enough just to preach the faith. We want to live the faith, right? often say it's not how many verses you know, it's how many verses you live, right, in context. So, uh, brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. So he's saying, uh, note those who walk in this way. Note the good examples uh, and seek to imitate them. You know, this is kind of an interesting uh, uh, verse in the sense that it seems to me people do need mentors, right? They need examples. They need discipleship. They, they need guides. Uh, they need somebody to emulate. Uh, it's good if we can see it in shoe leather, right? Uh, it's good to study it in doctrine here, but it's good to see it in a life. Uh, and we all have those kind of examples who really cur- encourage us in, in, our, in our walk. And he's saying, note those who so walk uh, after the example that he is setting, as you have us for a pattern. Now, the word pattern here uh, is, is the idea of a type. You have us as a type, and the type was like if you'd want to make an impression with a hammer, uh, you would maybe uh, uh, make an impression in a coin or, or uh, something else, an impression of some kind. Of, uh, so he's saying, as you have us uh, for a, a type or a pattern, uh, we're showing you how it's done. Follow our example. This is, this is the challenge. So this segues. This becomes a segue uh, into a contrast with false teachers. Uh, Michael, we're back to those false teachers. And forgot about them completely. A little different angle, but he's still got this in, in his mind. Uh, segues into a contrast with false teachers who are not to be followed. In effect, we have a contrast by which to measure the heretical legalists. On the one hand, you have Paul and those who follow him, whose whole passion is to know and live for Christ. On the other hand, you have false teachers whose whole passion is all about self, as seen in verses 18 and 19. And that's where we will go next. All right. Any other thoughts on verse 17 before we move in? Yeah, Michael.
should we get to the point where we say to do this also? It just it seems like a, a, a pride, potential pride issue for schools. Yeah, that's that's a good balance. Uh, I mean, if you're, I think we want to do it very humbly for sure. And I think about First uh, Corinthians eleven verse one, where Paul says, "Imitate me as as I also imitate Christ." So I think that's always appropriate. You know, if, if I'm following Christ uh, appropriately, uh, and, and you might want to measure everything, and, and, and it might be good to be humble like you're saying, I don't always do that. <laughs> so if you're watching me real closely and I mess up, like, well, don't, don't do that. So, uh, yeah, he, he was an apostle, and yet, you know, he also gave us Romans 7, the things I don't want to do, I do, and so forth. I mean, I think Paul just said, I have not yet arrived either, you know, so, I mean, he's not claiming perfection even as an apostle. So I, I think there is an application, but we want to be humble, just like you're saying. We don't want to come. I think it's the spirit and kind of the tone. And I've often emphasized this even as elders. We are uh, spiritual shepherds, under shepherds. But I think the tone, uh, you know, one time I had a guy come visit me, and they were thinking about uh, eldership in their church. And uh, I really emphasized to this brother, the tone is so important. You, you know, you don't want to get a big head like, don't lord it over these people, like Peter says. Well, I think it did go to the brother's head. And there was all kinds of problems because of the spirit of what was being carried out as he went along in that situation. So I think the tone and the spirit, humility goes a tremendously long way. And he's emphasized that, you know, through chapter 2. Tremendous emphasis on, on humility earlier there. But that's a good, good balance, what you're talking about there, Michael. Yeah. Yeah. Arrogant, right? Sure, right, right. Yeah, and what you're saying, yeah, Hebrews 13 is specifically talking to elders there. You back up a few verses there, he's specifically talking about elders. So elders should be worth following, right? They should have the kind of life that says, hey, that's what it means to be an elder. You, you follow their example. And uh, with, with qualifiers, I mean, we are human. We do, we do make mistakes, and uh, you know, we too are in process. Uh, not that I have already apprehended, like Paul says, so... Uh, but that's good. Good discussion. That's okay. Uh, anyone else? Yes, Bill. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. I have heard that. Sure. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I think even in the body of Christ, we need each other. And then in, in that context, there's going to be those who are, are mature, like he's talking about. And, you know, they, they should be emulated, yeah, as far as their Christ-likeness, for sure. Yeah. 
Very good. Anyone else? Yeah, sorry, Leah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's for sure. And, and he's not saying that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, no, the doctrine is settled, right? We got the New Testament. Well, actually, God gave it through Paul, right? He spoke as an apostle, and so, yeah, it was by inspiration. But, yeah, we build on the foundation of the apostles. There's no more truth, uh, no new truth going forward here at this point, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think we're talking about Christ-likeness, right? We're talking about imitating Christ in a mature way uh, where others can grow. That, yeah, that's, yeah. All right, anyone else? Okay, let's press on. Let's, uh, hey, did you hear that? Let's press on. Oh, that's good. Let's do it. Uh, verses uh, 18 and 19. Who wants to read this for us? 18 and 19. Yes, Albert. Uh, one more verse, verse 19. Their end is destruction, for God is their belly, and their glory is in their, their shame, with minds set on earthly things. Okay, wow. Uh, gets pretty rough again here, Michael. I mean, we saw this back in verse 2, and now we see, there's kind of like bookends in this chapter. This chapter has two bookends. There's a warning about false teachers on the front end, and there's warning about these people on the back end here. And so note uh, what we have seen, verse 2, beware of dogs, the two-legged kind, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. These were Judaizers who were saying, salvation is a matter of Jesus plus your circumcision, plus your Jewish legalism. And so he's saying, watch out. For these false teachers. But now on the back end of the chapter, we just had read for us, uh, watch out for these uh, who are enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, etc. We'll work our way through this. So we have it uh, emphasized on both ends in this chapter. And uh, really what we have in the chapter is the testimony of what Paul stood for in stark contrast to these false teachers and what they stood for. And so we see... Sandwiched in between is Paul's testimony. And so that's the emphasis. <clears throat> but notice he says, how many walk? Many. Boy, that's, that's kind of alarming. Not just one or two, but many walk of whom I have told you often. This is interesting here too. Uh, he, he, this is not a first time that he's touched on this subject. He says, I, I have shared about this concern with you many times. Uh, many walk of whom I have told you often. False teachers. Uh, false teachers really have two major areas in which they get off track. Uh, one would be false doctrine, and two would be wrong practice. And of course they go together, right? Uh, where false doctrine is in view, wrongful practice will follow. So doctrine always leads practice. If your teaching's wrong, your practice is going to be wrong too. But really, we have two categories. You have the Judaizers, who were the legalists, who were wanting to add to Jesus, right? It's Jesus plus. We believe in Jesus, but he's not enough. You also got to, you have the, the legalism, the rules, these other rules. 
And then you've got what we call the antinomians, the, the libertines who say, you know, Jesus is great. In fact, he's so great, it doesn't matter how you live that. And this seems to be the other end of the spectrum that he is now addressing here in verses 18 and 19. And he says, I've told you uh, often. He has often warned him. Remember how he started this chapter in verse 1 where he says, Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For to me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. So, so he's kind of saying, I'm a little redundant. This is not the first time I've shared these concerns with you, these warnings. And, uh, but for you it, it is safe. Again, here seems to be what the issue is. Uh, they evidently are professing Christians who claim you can be a believer but it doesn't matter how you live. They perhaps claim to agree with Paul on justification, but they turned around and said, it doesn't matter how you live. They did not agree with Paul's, uh, Paul and his passion to more deeply know Christ. They did not agree with Paul and his passion to press on in sanctification. They evidently saw Jesus paid it all as a license to sin. Well, that's the, uh, you know, you got the legalist, and then you got the, the person who says, you know, grace gives me a license to sin. You got air in both direction here. And so um, faithful shepherds warn people, uh, you know, lovingly. Remember, he starts out brethren here in verse 17. Uh, but that people do need to be told and warned. And he says, basically, I'm warning you. Many are in this category. And he says, I now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of, of the cross of Christ. He's passionately concerned about this situation. Uh, he has a broken heart, uh, even with tears. Uh, he doesn't have to take any pleasure. There's no joy in, in talking about this subject. Uh, even with tears, he says. So I think Paul's tears probably relate to a combination of several things. One, how utterly deceived these people are and their eternal fate if they don't repent. Two, the harm such people can potentially bring on these dear saints whom Paul loves. And three, his love for God and his truth moves him to tears as he considers what they are doing. I think you probably have a combination of those kinds of things there. But notice he labels them here. Enemies of the cross of Christ. I don't want to be in that category ever. I know you don't either. Uh, what, what, a, what a description. They are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And as we move into verse 19, he makes it bluntly clear they're not saved. These, are, these people are, are not real Christians. But you notice, notice they are not passive. They are the active enemies of, of the cross of Christ. And what's interesting to me here is we're in this area of the chapter that's dealing with sanctification. Not so much justification, but sanctification. And I think you can be an enemy of the cross from different angles. But in the enemy of the cross... Nonetheless, and what do I mean by this? Uh, you know, grace is a, is a, a life-changing reality. Uh, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. This grace, this life-changing reality that's come into our lives, it's a life-changing reality. And what's it teaching us? Well, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope, glorious appearing of, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, um, grace is a, is a life-changing reality. The cross is all about what Jesus has done for us. We don't earn it. It's all grace. Jesus did it all. It is finished, was his last words. That's grace. That's the truth of the cross. But the truth of the cross 
also leads to the truth that if you accept this Christ, it's going to change your life. It's a a life-changing reality. So uh, note these three groups that we really have addressed in the chapter. We have jealous brethren, earlier in the, not this, uh, this chapter, in this book. Uh, jealous brethren who preach the right message but have the wrong motives. Remember how we dealt with them? <clears throat> we, we said, you know, he doesn't call them unbelievers. In fact, he calls them brothers. Uh, but then there's Judaizers uh, who have the wrong message, uh, teaching confidence in the flesh, religious uh, credentials. We saw that earlier in the chapter. And then antinomians, no law, libertines, who are wrong in their practice, who say, you know, praise the Lord for grace. doesn't matter how we live. Uh, no, they're wrong too. They too are the enemies of the cross uh, from, from a different angle. So uh, this uh, is interesting here, that how he goes on to describe these enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul's own testimony... Um, Let me see. I may have skipped one here. This is not the one I thought. But anyway, here is the truth of the matter. Justification, salvation by faith alone, and sanctification, holy living, are distinct. You know, we're not saved by holy living, right? We're saved by faith in Christ. But at the same time, they cannot be separated. What I mean is we're not saved by holy living but by faith alone. However, if our faith is real, it will usher in holy living. And uh, that, that, is, that is the point. Okay. Um, <clears throat> all right. Any other thoughts on verse 18 before we go to verse 19? Yes, Albert. That's true. Oh. Amen. That, that is so true these days. It's true. I mean, it seems like it's funny, but there is so much out there that's really bad doctrine. And, uh, and a lot, sadly, so many have not been taught the Bible deeply, so they don't even know how to discern properly when it comes to, you know, evaluating. That's how you discern. You know the Bible. Yeah, Albert? Yes. And, and if, well, I was going to ask a question because I don't want to say it dogmatically. <laughs> okay. But if a person, if a person who professes to be saved mm-hmm. and has the ability and, and the privilege of being connected to a body life as a, as a Christian to be taught what, what needs to be taught, but they decide, I don't know if I'd go that far. There's all kinds of levels of, of maturity, uh, carnality, as Paul would talk to the Corinthians. And yet he's calling them saints. I'm mainly talking about people who think they are mature and they don't need any of this. Well, that's a problem. Well, yeah, the, there's a pride problem there that's, you know, kind of depends on the nature of what we're talking about, you know. Yeah, right. True enough. But within the context of body life, you know, what I'm saying is those guys in chapter 1 looked a little arrogant to me too. You know what I mean? 
Uh, I mean, they're taking on the Apostle Paul. Uh, they're having a problem with Paul. They want the attention. And so you got all kinds of levels of lots of things. It's, it's, the, the body is a motley crew. <laughs> all kinds of different levels of maturity and struggles with the flesh. And, you know, there's different degrees of faithfulness. There's all kinds of things that enter in. So it's, it's difficult to be totally black and white. You're speaking for all of us now? And yeah. God, oh. God saves us, God saves us by His grace to come together yep. so that we can unite in the Word of God yep. and to praise Him together. Amen. Even we're a yep. And, and that's where we need brotherly accountability. You know, we share the truth in love, we're building each other up. Yep, all of that's true. Okay, let's press, shall we? Verse 19 uh, Whose end is destruction? Again, they're not saved. Uh, Destruction literally means to, to break down. Uh, it's the idea of, of perpetual ruin. Uh, ultimately, those who go to the lake of fire are described as uh, going to the place of eternal destruction, such as we have in Second Thessalonians 1.9. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. Uh, they, got a, they have a God all right, but it's their belly, which relates to their, their sensual indulgences, really is the idea here. Uh, Paul here in Romans chapter, this is the verse I was looking for earlier. Yeah, okay. Galatians uh, 6.14, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul is saying that his relationship with uh, the world of sin has been permanently altered by the cross. Uh, the false teachers deny this and in fact think that as professing Christians, they now have a license to sin. They, they claim it doesn't matter how you live. In their minds, there is no need to press on in sanctification, as Paul has described in the previous verses there. Okay, um, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame. Evidently, they're kind of glorying in their libertine ways and in their sinfulness, really. It, they're not ashamed of their sin. Uh, they have pride in it, in fact. And, and he says, who set their mind on earthly things. This is their whole perspective. It's earthly. It's not heavenly. Uh, it's, it's related to this earth. It's related to self, the flesh. Uh, that's their whole perspective. By the way, who set their mind on earthly things, the book of Revelation has a descriptive term for unbelievers. Ten times it uses this phrase. You know what it is? Earth dwellers. Ah, good student. Earth dwellers. That's right. They're called earth dwellers, which is a technical term for unbelievers. This is their whole focus. It's, it's, it's not above, it's below, uh, who mind earthly things. All right, let's finish out very quickly here. 2021, who wants to read that for us? Yeah, Amy? Amen. These are some great verses. Uh, let me see what my next slide is, just to surprise myself. Yeah, this really relates to what I was going to say before here too. But uh, here in Romans, uh, those who are such uh, do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. By smooth words, flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. So that relates to what we were talking about back in the previous verse there. But anyway, here, our citizenship uh, is in heaven. The hour is emphatic, like you were saying, Albert. He's talking to, to them as a group of fellow believers. 
And uh, he's contrasting the enemies of the cross. Uh, Their citizenship is not in heaven. Their end is destruction. Uh, Our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, What does it mean to have citizenship? Does it mean anything? Is it significant? It means you belong, right? It means you belong. And uh, here the idea is uh, we have a homeland. Where's our ultimate home? Uh, It's not here. Uh, We're passing through. Really, when we enter into the gates of glory, we'll be home. That's the homeland, really. We're kind of, you know, this is, uh, we're kind of behind the lines on, on enemy, in enemy territory here. It is the devil's world. God is sovereign over it all, of course. But uh, our citizenship is in heaven. We are just passing through. We are pilgrims just passing through. I like this by John Phillips. Right now, we are pilgrims and strangers in a foreign land. That's where we are. Uh, this world is not our final home. We are here as heaven's ambassadors. That's, that's, how we, that's who we are. Every night we pitch our tent a day's march nearer home. Isn't that neat? I like that, how true that is. Every night we pitch our tent a day's march nearer home. I remember Clyde Peck used to say that. He would say, you know, there's one thing good about getting old. He said, it means you're getting closer to home all the time. And, and how true that is. Uh, let's see here. As citizens of heaven, that is where our ultimate affections and allegiance lies. And yet, in a secondary sense, we are citizens of the country on earth to which we belong. Paul himself repeatedly used his citizenship as a, as a Roman citizen. So, you know, it's true. Ultimately, in terms of our spiritual citizenship, it's heaven. But in a secondary sense, in terms of our physical experience here, we are citizens uh, of our country as well, as Paul was a citizen of Rome. Our citizenship is in heaven. This is the ultimate uh, emphasis, from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Way back here, they were eagerly waiting for the Savior. Uh, He is our Savior, emphasis here uh, on the person of Christ, not just the place. Yeah, we're looking forward to the place he's taking us. But the real emphasis is we're eagerly waiting for the Savior. And this is kind of the mark of true believers in the New Testament. Hebrews 9.28, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. You know, we as believers have this, this blessed hope. We are looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and sometime he is going. We don't know when he's coming. We're not setting a date. But we are eagerly waiting for the Savior. And then he says, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his full name. Lord means uh, master, God master. Jesus means Savior. Christ means anointed one, the special one prophesied in the Old Testament. That's who he is, our Lord Jesus Christ. And what's he going to do when he comes? Well, he's going to transform our lowly body. You know that body you're in right now, right? My body that I'm in right now. Uh, Transform. This is going to be the completion of God's transformation work. There's a transformation that happens when we're born again as we become believers in Christ. Little by little, we're becoming more like Jesus Christ uh, from the inside out. But here, the process of transformation is going to be completed. Uh, It's going to be completed with this transformation of our lowly body. And what do we call this? Well, yeah, the event. But glorification, right? We are going to be glorified. 
And uh, right now we have this, this lowly body. In what way is it lowly? <laughs> in, way is it, in what way is it not lowly? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's frail. It's breaking down. It, it gets sick. Uh, it's not as attractive as you get older. I'd like to think I, I'm as, as sharp as I was when I was 21, but not true, right? Anyway, uh, our, our lowly body, it's, it's breaking down. But notice what's going to happen at when we, uh, what we're eagerly waiting for uh, the Savior to do. He will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. You know what? We're going to get a body just like Jesus Christ in terms of a glorified body. Uh, I mean, the resurrection body of Christ, what couldn't it do? I mean, it could just float off into heaven. He could just appear uh, through closed doors. He could eat, right? That's a good thing. I mean, he had breakfast with the disciples after the resurrection. We're going to get a resurrection body, a glorified body. Paul talks about this in the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, 49. As we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to get our body back. It's going to be in glorified form. And the Bible says when we see him, we shall be like him. And how is this going to happen? According to the working uh, the word working here is uh, a Greek word, energia, from which we get our English word energy. Uh, this is supernatural power in action, according to the working, by which he is able. He is able. Uh, this word able is the word from which we get our English word dynamite or dynamo. Uh, it's the power uh, that he is able to exert uh, to subdue all things to himself. Uh, which is the idea of to arrange, to arrange under. And so note here, to wrap up here tonight, Christ's resurrection power is going to bring everything into line under his authority. Everything will be in subjection to him. Satan will be in subjection. Death will be in subjection. Death is swallowed up in victory. Amen. All of nature will be in subjection as we are enter into the golden kingdom age. So, and, and we are going to get, receive those glorified bodies. Final slide here for tonight. If we know Jesus, our final destination is glory and a glorified body. Uh, you know what, I think about this. You know, as, you know, they closed the casket on my dad a few weeks ago. And, and that, kind of, that image is in your mind. But you think, how, this is the ultimate in weakness, lowliness. But what a day is coming where we're going to get a glorified body as believers. You can't always choose what happens to you in this life, but you can choose to focus on things above and have an eternal perspective. No wonder Paul, in the bonds of prison, said, emphasis in this book, finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Again, he'll say it in chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Such a mindset is rooted in an eternal perspective. Set your mind on things above, where your eternal home is and where... The Savior is coming to usher you in to glory. Perhaps today. We're eagerly waiting. We don't know when he's going to come, but someday he will come. Uh, perhaps today. All right. Any other thoughts as we wrap up here tonight? Okay. Very good. Thank you for the discussion. Let's, uh, if you got a prayer, do you need a prayer sheet? Anybody need a prayer sheet?